0: Welcome to Volunteer Field Notes, a podcast by Go Help Now, a nonprofit dedicated to helping volunteers find ways to help during humanitarian and disaster relief. For this podcast, we interview real volunteers who jump in and go help. We hope by sharing their story, we can inspire you to find ways to use your skills in times of need. This is Lauren and I'll be your host. On today's episode, I interviewed Jeff, a Chicago native who from a very young age was intrigued with helping others. Now his big heart for those in need led him to join a group of volunteers early in March 2022 to help people fleeing Ukraine. Jeff's background in volunteer disaster training, his business acumen, his empathy for those in need, and his strong work ethic were crucial for him starting the nonprofit Project Aid and Rescue. As a founder of this new nonprofit, Jeff works around the clock, and even when he's sick with COVID, to create positive solutions to help Ukrainians settle into safe temporary housing, and to arrange safe evacuations for many from the dangerous areas of Ukraine. I was thrilled to catch up with Jeff to learn about how he got started, and to highlight some of the ways others can get involved with this awesome work that Project Aid and Rescue is still doing. I hope you enjoy our talks. Today, we've got Jeff from Project Aid and Rescue, and we are so excited to talk about where his journey started and where it's going and volunteerism in general. So, Jeff, thanks so much for joining us today.
1: Thanks for having me. appreciate the opportunity.
0: So, just tell me a little bit, I guess, Jeff, about who were you pre-war in Ukraine? What's
1: your background? Um, Okay, so my name is Jeff Kaminsky. I live in the suburbs of Chicago. And I'm a father. I've got three children. I am married and um, I was um, been volunteering with the fire department for, you know, probably 10 years prior to this. My first job, I guess, uh, when I was 11 years old, I went to the local fire department and I said, can I volunteer? Can I help? Can I get a job here? I'll clean up and do stuff. So I was always kind of enamored with the fire department and, um, you know, When the war broke out, like many of us, I watched and watched some of the politics that were leading up to it and thinking, he's going to go in. It's just a matter of time. And then when it actually happened, I was very upset. And I just could not understand how people could watch on the television and turn the channel and, "Okay, I've had enough of this and move over. And I saw what was happening and I was appalled. How could this be happening in 2022? Didn't know what to do. And then I received an email from a friend who was asking, uh, telling me about his brother in Berlin, who was working to evacuate refugees, uh, orphans, as a matter of fact, 200 that became 400 orphans from Odessa. And this was uh, an organization called Chabad, which is um, a Jewish organization that the rabbi of Berlin happens to be brothers with the rabbi of U of I in Champaign, uh, who runs that Chabad. And... He sent out this email Friday, March 5th, saying, this is personal. This is really close to home. We really desperately need help. And I read that email and I kind of made a decision, okay, okay, I don't know what to do, but I'm going to go to Berlin and help with the evacuation of refugees. And I didn't know what this was. It wasn't refugees, it was orphans. And I contacted the Northbrook fire chief who had just recently retired, who trained me in the search program. I'm on the, what's called the community emergency response team. A volunteer uh, people that are trained. In our case, it's the fire department. Sometimes it's the police departments around the country. But the idea is that it came out of the Bush administration in the 19, in 2000s, because of the hur- uh, earthquakes in the 1990s. There was this the the concept that we have to train local people in the community to do triage and first response. We cannot wait for the police and the fire department and the paramedics to get to a area where there's a crisis such as an earthquake or a tornado uh, as quickly as they want them to. So let's train members of the community. So I was one of those guys that volunteered to be trained and felt like, okay, I I, I always want to know, what do you do if there's a car crash? What do you do if your neighbor's house is on fire? And, Mm -hmm. And so that's why I went and, volunteered to do that and when the opportunity came to go and evacuate or help with the orphans and I'm seeing these scenes of the people being taken out and a lot of it was first aid you know people with injuries and things like that and I'm like I can do this let's go I'm like let's do it so I contacted uh, the fire chief and I said here's what's going on I'm going to go to Berlin to help with the evacuation of these orphans would you like to come with me he says let's go um, Dave Crawford is the, uh, former fire chief that, uh, trained me and is a close friend. And, you know, the following Monday afternoon, we were on a plane on March wow. 7th, 12 days into the war to Berlin. And when we got there, we we're a little bit disappointed because we we're thinking, okay, we're going to use our skills and you need a paramedic, which I'm not, but he is. And you need, uh, my, uh, my skills from operations, logistics, uh, whatever, um, Most of the orphans were evacuated, and it was remarkable because the head of the German Federal Police in 2022 personally called and asked the border security and border control of six countries to allow these undocumented orphaned children, most of them were Jewish, to be let out without passports. They were orphans. And to come to Berlin as guests of the German government. Think about that. In 2022 the head of the German Federal Police is calling the border controls, um, negotiating the free passage, the safe passage of these busloads of Jews, Jewish children. Once that was done and it was in, they were safe in Berlin, it became clear that they really didn't need our help the way we thought they would be needed. You know, they weren't sending us to the border to actually do the evacuations. They wanted us to help with the hotel. And I was thinking, okay, there's we're here. We're halfway there. We've got to do more. One of my friends that I'd met said, Jeff, before you go home, go to the Berlin Central Bus Station, the ZOB. I said, what's there? He said, there's thousands of refugees coming. In. I said, to Berlin? Really? Now, Berlin to Ukraine is anywhere from a, a 10 to 14 hour bus ride. Um, you know, certainly a little faster by train. But all of a sudden I see these papers, articles that saying Berlin is ground zero for refugees. Mm. Why? Because Berlin... Is such a big city. It's a well known city. And, and Germany is by far the uh, wealthiest country of the EU. Poland has was doing a remarkable job. They were completely overwhelmed at the beginning of the war. This is March. I mean, this is a mm-hmm. few days into the
0: war. This is early on. Yeah, people were just coming early on. a lot in masses so, into Poland. So I
1: went to the Berlin bus station and I see bus after bus unloading. And I went up to what I thought was people there. I said, well, who's in charge here? And they're like, well, we all are. I see a white uh, tent with a big red cross on it. And I see tables and, and inside of food and boxes of clothing and toys and anything you can imagine. So I finally got to somebody who was like one of the managers, if you will. And this was a grassroots program that the local Berliners came together and really did a remarkable job. And there were men and women sitting at a table with laptops typing. And I said, what are they doing over there? Well, they're trying to figure out who's got housing available. And a lot of people had volunteered housing for the refugees. And remember, most of the people who were coming out were women with their children, and of course the elderly. So. I said, what do you guys need? What don't you have? And they're like, well, I said, where are you putting all these people? Because people were just sleeping on the, on the on the benches. They were just pouring over things. Yeah. There was also a lot of rampant illness there. COVID was spreading. Um, and you had a lot of uh, moms with young children. I saw people who had literally were holding their their bags that they had been carrying for the last 12 days. Some cases people were were been running for two weeks. I heard stories of fathers and mothers spray painting on the side of the car. Children don't shoot in Russian and in Ukrainian and telling stories about how the car in front of them got shot up and the car behind them got shot up.
0: Oh, yeah, those who I feel like those who made it out in those early days were people who had seen a whole lot and experienced a whole lot. So when you see those people who were coming across the border coming to Berlin to safe places, the experience that they had was just really terrible.
1: It was. I said to the person in charge, I said, okay, looks like you have food, you have medical staff. What do you need? She says, I need a place to put these people to sleep. I said, well, mm-hmm. do you have money? She says, some people are coming and handing us cash. I said, you're not set up as an organization, mm-hmm. hasn't been sponsored yet by Berlin, the Senate, nothing like that. I said, okay, let me go to my hotel and see what I can do. Mm-hmm. I went to my hotel and I negotiated like 20 rooms. And then I went to another hotel and I negotiated another 20 rooms. And then I did it again. So I started going around Berlin and renting up hotel rooms. And then I would go back to the ZOB and I said, okay, I now have 20 hotel rooms. I now have 40 Mm -hmm. hotel rooms. And I started taking women and children and putting them into the hotel rooms. And over the course of, you know, I was there for just under four weeks. And then I came home to the States sick with COVID. And I still did it working with people that were on the ground that I had met. And I said, look, I'm going to be going home. I need somebody to help me with this because I can't do it on my own. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they would call me up or text me and say, Jeff, we have a mother and her three children and she's at such and such a place. I would literally order an Uber from my phone in Chicago (laughs) to Berlin (laughs) to pick up a family, to bring them to the hotel. Well,
0: and you know, that's just one of the, one of the things that yeah, that modern convenience that we have right now of sending money, of finding places to stay, sending food, that's incredible.
1: So it, within within the next, over the course of three months, I personally put, uh, I guess I'd say probably just under 2,000 women, children, elderly uh, into hotels. Great. Right. And that's how I got started because I felt like, okay, I was mm-hmm. doing something And and let me back up a moment, because when I first started doing this, I gave him my own credit card, but then I started to post on social media to friends back Mm -hmm. home what I was doing, and I had set up a GoFundMe page uh, uh, that I was coming, and people started to donate and send me money, started donating to the GoFundMe page, and I started using the money that was coming in to pay for the hotel rooms. Wow. So when I came home it was not easy to turn this off. Not at all. I looked at these faces, these faces, these could have been my children, could have been my relatives. I just felt, my God, I could only hope if God forbid this happened in my country to my family, that there were people willing to help the way I and the other volunteers were willing to help. And that's how I got started. And then when I came home, I was telling my story about what I was doing and continuing to do it and started to do a bus evacuation mm-hmm. called Operation 52 because there were 52 seats on the first bus. And I was raising money to fund this bus to drive into Ukraine to bring people out. I met some great people who offered to help me both put together a website. It just kind of took a different direction because now we were official. Mm-hmm. And now mm-hmm. we were doing things uh, as so an official 501c3.
0: No longer needing to put things on your credit card. You can do it through the organization, which is safer Correct. for you and way more sustainable. I mean, I think what you're describing is a lot of what a lot of people started doing early on is thinking, gosh, it's hard to sit here and watch this just terrible stuff on the television. And, and I know that, you know, I felt the same way is how can I continue my day day and know that there's a possibility that I might be able to help. So that moving to action. And then, like you said, once you get it started, it's kind of like, you just can't stop helping because the people are still in need. It's still like, Continual war, continual problem, and we're just seeing the complications of war each month. Tell me a little bit about some of the some of the partners that you've met along the way, or just some of the folks that you've met.
1: So the vast majority of the people that I helped, I will never meet. Right, and that is very powerful in and of itself. I remember at one time. My rabbi said, Jeff, see if there's any Jewish people that are coming out because there's different resources and there's maybe they want to go to Israel. So I said, how am I supposed to do that? He said, wear a yarmulke. I said, okay. So I put on my yarmulke and I wore, walked down the streets of Berlin and I'm telling, looking at the bus station for anybody that was Jewish. And I learned how to say, are you Jewish? Are there any Jews here in Berlin at the bus station to see? And I did find a, a couple of families that, that ended up going, being invited to go to Israel and and, and were welcome there. But then when I came back home, Um, there were some of these, these, um, young college girls that wrote me and said, you know, I was sexually assaulted at the border with Mm -hmm. this country or that country. And I really appreciate the the fact that I can have my own space in in a hotel room. And then what we did is, is we banded together to try to find additional housing for people, Mm -hmm. uh, longer term housing, you know, either in Berlin became very tough. So we moved them outside Berlin. That was much easier, um, And eventually, through founding my organization, which is Project Aid and Rescue, and along the way, while we were doing the bus evacuations, I had met other people that were doing other organizations. And, you know, we would come Mm -hmm. together and say, oh, we have open seats. Who needs this or who needs that? Trying to get children up, And I met a woman, Anya, who's in uh, Wisconsin. And I'm like, you're, you're in Wisconsin, I'm in Chicago. And we started talking on a regular basis because we're on the same time zone. Anya is with an organization called Be an Angel. And we started working together. And then I met um, William McNulty of Operation White Stork. Operation White Stork is a Marine group, uh, former Marines, former Army um, people who were bringing IFACs in. And IFAC, I-F-A-K, is an individual first aid kit and it has a tourniquet. It has a chest seal. It has hemostatic bandages and gauze. And what it was, what it would do, it, it, it's a hundred-dollar um, cost for this pack, a sack, if you will. Its design was to save lives. I started to work with them. I was working on doing some evacuations of of uh, people. One of the people who was a refugee that I had helped in the hotel asked me if I could help get her brother out. Her brother had a broken spine and they were in uh, Bucha, mm-hmm. him and his mother. So in April 7th or eighth, I believe it was, we were able to evacuate them to Berlin on an, mm-hmm. on an ambulance. And um, that was, I want to say it's close to a thousand kilometers that we did that. Mm -hmm. And I started getting involved with how do we get people out? And I had, when I had the hotel rooms, I posted on Telegram, hotel rooms available for refugees in Berlin, called Jeff. That was it. And I started to get lots of inquiries and lots of phone calls. And and I started to vet, Mm -hmm. well, who's who? I was trying to give the hotel rooms to Women with children or people who were what I consider to be more vulnerable. Through this, I once got a phone call from a guy that said, can you put 52 people into a hotel room? Mm -hmm. I said, 52 people? What's that about? Doing a bus evacuation. And we're passing through Berlin and we need a place for people to sleep that first night. So that was the start of what's probably been our 14th Mm -hmm. or 15th bus evacuation. Um, We just did one yesterday. As the uh, uh, temperatures have gotten colder and the heating capacity has been uh, degraded uh, from the infrastructure, we've been doing more and more bus evacuations. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that Project Aid and Rescue does is it raises money to get people out and get them to, to safety. We are also raising money today for generators. We have sent in antibiotics that were delivered to frontline hospitals. We did. We got uh, 2.4 million dollars worth of antibiotics donated, and was fortunate enough to meet a, a terrific gentleman um, that offered to airlift the antibiotics. And he happens to be oh, that's wonderful. A, uh, yeah, uh, he happens to be a veteran himself, and he's the mm-hmm. president and CEO of the Stronghold Group. Dave Henderson has just been a, a terrific individual. So another gentleman that I met. The, the other thing I want to mention, uh, um, uh, Charita Sternberg, is the uh, runs World of Connection, and that's how you and I were introduced. Mm-hmm. I am so grateful to have partnered with Charita because she is an expert and an absolute genius when it comes to shipping. And mm-hmm. she has figured out through her charity, World of Connections, how to ship over 200 containers of aid to Ukraine. Wow. So along the way, we're meeting organizations that want to help. William uh, said to us, we're looking to ship 150 pallets of bandages over to Ukraine Mm -hmm. by air or sea. Anya and I were already working together to try to figure out how to get medical supplies to ship over. And along came William. And we got together 4th of July weekend, the three of us. We got together in Milwaukee and have been working together ever since. And um, we ended up working through a couple other organizations that were willing to help us with air freight. Uh, I had 27 pallets to ship over by air. That's not cheap.
0: That's not cheap. So how did you know how to manage some of the stuff that you're getting coming in? Uh, when, whenever someone says we have $2.4 million worth of antibiotics, like mm-hmm. what, what have you tapped into in your, your professional life or your previous life prior to this past year, which has been helpful for you to, to execute this and to get things completed?
1: You know, aside from the CERT training, you know, I've been in sales and business development my whole life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, what that means, if we can translate that into what mm-hmm. it means for solving issues with Ukraine uh, and what I'm doing today with Project In Rescue, I get a lot of things that are thrown at me from challenges, um, how to go from point A to point B, and it's not always a direct path. So how do I figure out how to be the primary vendor of this particular customer? Mm -hmm. What are the problems that he needs or she needs solved? So, Now I have my own company and I'm doing that on my own professionally. Um, And I'm in manufacturing and um, uh, perforated and fabricated metals. And I've been doing that for the last 15 years. So what I've learned to do from that is how do you take something from concept Mm -hmm. into delivery and, and get it to happen? And oftentimes you're working with a lot of different teams and a lot of different people. In the same way that I'm working with a lot of teams and people uh, through aid and and volunteering for Ukraine, um, the difference is I get an opportunity or a challenge or a goal to achieve. My objective is to figure out how to get it done.
0: Right. There's no can't get it done. It's like with this situation, you have to deliver. I mean, I feel like that's kind of the the driving force, right? When people are suffering, it's like, you got to find that solution.
1: That's right. And it might be the other day we were evacuating a person that, um, you know, was in a hospital and we needed to help get them out. And there was two ambulances involved, one from one city to another. And then, uh, then the other one do, uh, from the, the second location mm-hmm. out, out of Ukraine to into Poland. Um, you know, the partner that I met along the way is Ukraine Air Rescue, and they have they're doing evacuations um, by air. Now you can't fly into Ukraine today, but what they're doing is they're bringing injured injured people out, and then they're flying them around. So one, I, I remember one day I had a woman that had reached out to me and said, "Hey, um, there's a man that had worked with her. His father had been injured." Uh, by one of the bomb bombings that landed near their home and he had several surgeries and he desperately needed to get out of Ukraine and I knew that 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 the Ukraine air rescue had a, an evacuation team that um, was going to be removing some people out and uh, so in order to get a, a, a person released you often needed to contact the Ministry of Health um, and I would do that. So I networked my way to find out, well, who is, how do you get to this person to Mm -hmm. get their release Um, so they can be allowed? Because a a man who's of the age, between the ages of 18 and 65, cannot get out, to uh, leave Ukraine without permission from the government. So the same way I have to figure out how to get to the buyer who makes a decision on on something, I had to figure out how to get to the, the guy or the gal that was in charge of making a decision. Right. So it's about um, yeah. don't take no. It may be no, not today. It's okay if I can't do it this way. How can we get it done another way?
0: Yeah, no, that makes total sense. I think that that background seems to lend to some of the work that you're doing now, which is, you know, really awesome. And what I think I really want to encourage volunteers or people with skills to do is to find the organizations or the skill or the places where you can serve and volunteer that use the skills that you know and that you know you are you are able to offer to the team of people. And I think that you really touched on a few things there that really are important for where, where this all started in March 2022 and kind of where it's going. And um, just knowing that, you know, your mission has, has changed and grown and evolved and the volunteer work that you have done, connections that you've made have grown and evolved as the months have gone on, gone on because the needs have changed. And I think that's one of the right. key things that's really important about these partnerships is, um, you know, being strategic in who you're partnering with, um, you know, being making sure you're making the appropriate connections and the meeting the needs of the people that are on the ground today, which are different than they were, you know, in March and in April and looking more towards, a, you know, a sustainable future for Ukraine rebuilding for Ukraine is kind of Correct. hopefully on the horizon as, as we get closer to this war ending and, a lot of the beginning of it was first responders going over, military people, people that were trained and cert trained you know, nurses, aides, and that and the sort. And then the longevity is going to be the digital, the social media, the marketing, the fundraising, logistics, just like you talked about. So it is interesting to see what opportunities were not available early on for people, which are now available for people to do from their very home, to be able to help yep. and to, to do so from your house with your own skills.
1: It's still remarkable that we can do what we're doing to it's, help to not think that it is bigger than us and just throw up your hands and quit. It is bigger than us, but there's still something we can do to help people to save lives, to make things better for others.
0: Well, I love that. Thanks so much, Jeff, for chatting with us today. I'm really inspired by your story and all that you've been able to do. And if anyone is looking to get involved, they can go check out your site at aidandrescue.org. So thanks so much for coming.
1: Thank you very much, Lauren. Appreciate uh, everything that you guys are doing. And Project Aid and Rescue and I are happy to help. I'm happy to see all this through to the end and to do what we can to help the Ukrainian people.
0: What a great talk with Jeff. Um, so grateful that he was able to take some time from his his really busy life uh, helping Ukrainians to to just talk with us about what they're doing. If you're out there and you're intrigued by the work of Project Aid and Rescue, check them out at aidandrescue.org. And to find a wide variety of opportunities to volunteer with our partner organizations, check out our partner directory at gohelpnow.org. You can also follow us on Instagram at volunteers, go help now. And if you're an organization currently seeking volunteers, please reach out to gohelpnow.org forward slash contact dash us for information on creating a profile in our directory. Thanks so much for listening.